Welcome to the Forency Podcast. Forency.us is a language training website for Hebrew, Arabic, and Russian designed specifically for intermediate to advanced learners. Our daily lessons prepare you to read real foreign language news articles and listen to actual foreign language media on a wide variety of subjects to put you on the path to language mastery. If you're studying Hebrew, Arabic, or Russian, you can visit our site at forency.us. That's F-O-R-E-I-G-N-C-Y dot U-S and enter the promo code language mastery for a 10% discount on our annual and six-month subscriptions. In this podcast, I spoke with Zehavid Ere of Golden Translations. Zehavid is a professional Hebrew subtitler and has given lectures on the topic at Tel Aviv University. We found each other on Twitter, and after we've been following one another for some time, I decided to reach out and see if she'd be willing to talk about Hebrew subtitling and her career on our podcast. The more digging I did into the art of subtitling, the more fascinating I found it to be, and our discussion lived up to my expectations. We ended up covering a number of core challenges that exist in this field, and also talked about how she got into the industry and where the industry is going. I hope you enjoy the show. So thanks for being on the show. I'm here today with Zehavid Ere of Golden Translations. Thanks again for being on, and hope everything's going well there in Israel. Hi. So I wanted to give people some background on how we came into contact with one another. At some point, you and I followed each other on Twitter, and then I looked at your profile and started looking into what you do and found that you're a Hebrew subtitler by profession. And the more I started researching that, the more it interested me, because obviously the stuff that we do on Forency with our language lessons is tied to translation and language fluency. And then I found what you did to be really interesting and I'd love if you could tell me a bit about how you got into the business and um, why you love being a subtitler. Yes. Uh, hi. Um, well, uh, I studied linguistics. Now I have MA, but uh, back then I only had uh, my BA and translation diploma. And a friend of a friend, you know how it is, they were looking for uh, an editor, proofreader for a subtitling studio in Israel. And uh, I started working there, and uh, ever since I worked in the field, mostly subtitlers, it's a niche. So uh, when you start working with one uh, subtitling studio, you usually work with others as well, because it's a, it's a specialty, and we will probably talk about it now. Specialty in the field of translation. Right. And what's it like working in a niche field like that, especially uh, in Israel? I love it because uh, personally, I always loved the TV, cinema, spoken language as a linguist, uh, spoken language, social linguistics always interested me. So translating videos, movies was a pleasure to me. And what's the range of stuff that you work on? Is it just movies or is it all sorts of recordings? Well, uh, at first, I'm in the field, let's say, like 14, 15 years. At first, it was, as I said, with the subtitling studios in Israel, which is actually TV, mostly TV, from series to feature films, everything that was on TV, various um, channels, history channels, MGM, mm-hmm. biography channels, all sorts of uh, channels. But in the last, uh, let's say, uh, five years, even more, I do also YouTube uh, translation, which is more and more common. 
mm-hmm. not only TV, but also marketing videos, instruction videos, internal videos for companies, for workers, stuff like that. Do you so, have a favorite kind of project to work on? You mean in subtitling? Um, if you're talking about genres, I prefer, I mean, I like more the documentaries because mm-hmm. I learn from it. And but then, also comedies and other stuff. Right. And then difficulty-wise, what, what sort of projects do you find the most difficult? What sort of genres do you find the most, most difficult and what, and what are the ones that you um, are able to do more easily? The most difficult ones are the ones with the more slang. slang <laughs> because uh, you really need to know what it is about. And not always you know exactly what the term means and you have to search it up. As opposed to narration or uh, straightforward language, even medical or uh, scientific, it's sometimes even more, it's easier than translating slang. Right. And then when I started researching you, I also found your YouTube page and the lectures you've given. So you've done work with Tel Aviv University, and I think you've done some other lectures also. Uh, Right. But how did that get started? Yeah, actually it started when I attended, uh, every year I I attend uh, Israel Annual uh, Translators Association. Once a year we have the Israel Translators Association uh, conference. And you know, it's, you know people and you talk about what you do. And once a person asked me to give a lecture to English teachers that they had once a year, English teachers for baccalaureate, I mean for high school. And they had like a conference once a year that they get lecturers talk about uh, English learning issues. So I gave a lecture to them. And then it continued, and then another lecture here and another there, and people hear about me. Eventually, I got to teach at uh, Tel Aviv University in the framework of the translation diploma they had in the course uh, subtitle translation. Okay, great. And then how's the interest been? From the videos that I saw, people look really engaged. I mean, is it a field that people are getting more and more interested in? Is it growing or is it not so much? I had a feeling uh, with my students, um, many of them were, uh, they really loved it. I I think uh, also it's uh, personal because, you know, some translators prefer literature, some prefer uh, other kinds of translation. But the ones who loved, I guess, like me, TV and cinema and spoken language, so they really loved it. Great. So now I want to get into the technical discussion aspects of this conversation, such as the constraints or challenges in subtitling Hebrew or any other language for that matter. I know you get into this on your lectures, but the linguistic or cultural or or other challenges that come with translating or subtitling Hebrew. Yes. Uh, When I taught, when I teach uh, my students, I talk about three, let's say three elements of three kinds of constraints. We have technical, linguistic, and cultural. Technical constraints that exist in subtitling and don't exist, let's say, in other type of translation are uh, technical issues like the duration of the subtitle, the length of the lines, unspoken text. What do you mean by unspoken text? 
sometimes you have signs, signs in the video mm-hmm. that are pertinent to the plot that later it's, you know, that it's important for you to know that in these signs it, it says no entrance and then something happens. Okay. Or there is a English uh, text saying uh, two years later. So we have to translate these two as well. Also, we have simultaneous speaking when two people speak at the same time. So you have to put them in the, at the same subtitle, stuff like that. So what about like if you're, trans- if you're subtitling a, uh, an English language movie and they're referring to miles or inches or things that aren't used in Israel or in Hebrew, how do you approach that? Yeah, this one, uh, when I talk about the cultural uh, constraints, yes, well, definitely we must uh, adjust it to the reader. So if the reader or the viewer of the subtitles is used to kilometers and not miles, we will definitely convert. Yes, kilometers, miles, uh, also uh, weight, pounds and and kilos, stuff like that. In terms of um, linguistic constraints, we have to make the text shorter sometimes because we have we are limited in space and time so sometimes i would prefer to use acronyms instead of full phrases in hebrew you have some words that can be uh, used as the shorter version like mahu what is you can say it uh, in one word instead of two words mm-hmm. if you know. Let's say um, verbs. Sometimes, you know, you can omit the pronoun when you say, achalti, I ate, and you can say ate. But within the verb, the pronoun is already understood. So I'm looking for these possibilities to shorten the text, but still not losing the the meaning. Right. Those ones, they seem pretty, very reasonable and, and very obvious. Are there any times you have to omit stuff that it's a hard judgment call to make? Yeah, sometimes uh, it's uh, in the pragmatic omissions, like uh, when I talk about exclamation or or address. Exclamation I mean by hey, hi, yo, stuff like that. Usually it's the person hears it, so it's not so important to translate it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be something that I would omit if I have an issue of space. Also, uh, address when you say Johnny, what's up? And people hear this, the person says Johnny. So if I don't have space, I can omit the word Johnny, for example. These and, are- and also the the linguistic aspects of it. So in English, if somebody's in the movie saying, "Hey, you know what I'm talking about," but in Hebrew. It wouldn't be a direct translation, correct? They would say "atamavin." Yes, you can "atamavinoti." Uh, yeah, that's a, a whole different issue about translating spoken language, as we all know. Or in the field of translation, it's never a literal translation. If it's literal translation, it's not a translation. The purpose in translation, and I think it's very evident in uh, subtitling, is that uh, the reader hears the English, but reads the Hebrew 
and he should read the Hebrew as if the, the person in the movie was saying it. If it sounds not natural, it would, uh, it would come out. For example, when it's very, uh, you can really feel it when there is, um, we have to uh, adjust the language, the register to the speaker. So I give uh, two opposite radical cases. One on the one side you have, uh, let's say, uh, someone from the slums, from the hood, as opposed to a professor in a university. So me as a translator, I have to adjust my language to the speaker. So if it's not fitting, the reader will see that this, it's not natural. I imagine when you're putting yourself in the shoes of a professor, say, you're using much more flowery, literal Hebrew, correct? Yeah, much more uh, correct Hebrew. Uh, I, we call it in linguistics a uh, socialect. Mm-hmm. I adjust my socialect of the text to the, to the speaker. And yes, in, uh, if it's uh, slang, like let's say bad slang, I don't know how you say it. It's not bad, but not a clean language. Right. In, uh, I, I see it more and more in subtitling. And it's okay, you know, that's what we would say if we were saying it. Uh, so uh, I do see some curses and you can say bad language, but that's what the person says. So that's how we will translate it to Hebrew. Is it hard for you to put yourself in the shoes of, of an actor or even a character that you really can't relate with on a personal level at all? So if you're you know, translating an action movie and you're a cop in his 20s, working in LA, how do you put yourself yeah. in, their, in their shoes and find your voice? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I just adjust myself to the, his language. I don't, I don't see myself as sympathizing or not sympathizing. I just, you know, in my mind, I think if I was him, what would I say in Hebrew? Or how would, would, sound, how would it sound in Hebrew? Right. And it sort of dovetails into something else I wanted to talk about, which was translating slang. Yeah, um, And how that also is a linguistic difference where there are a lot of things that carry over from English to Hebrew, but there are also a lot of things that don't at all. So I could say one thing in English, but the Hebrew translation would seem super bizarre to somebody who's not familiar with it. Of course, uh, many times uh, we have to uh, not, it's not, uh, in many cases, it's not literal translation. The parallel phrase in Hebrew is not word by word as the English one. Mm-hmm. For example, um, sometimes people might uh, do it literally, as I said. So, for example, there was in, in one movie, there was, uh, I saw someone uh, said, I would like to make a toast. And it was uh, everyone around the table with a glass of wine. And it was translated as toast, which means I want to make... Uh, I want to prepare a toast. Yeah, a toast, I mean, uh, you know, bread with bread. cheese. Okay. Put it in the toaster oven or toaster so this is an example for a bad translation, which is... So that, that's something you actually saw? Translated. Yes. Okay. That was a, an example that came up to me. That must have made you cringe. Yeah, it was. It, it did. Um, talking about the translating spoken language, 
Uh, it includes slang, but not only metaphors. When I'm talking about metaphors, so I teach in my course, there are a few strategies to translate metaphors. You can translate it from one metaphor. I will give examples. From one metaphor to another metaphor in the, the target language, or from the same metaphor to the same metaphor, or to neutralize the metaphor. For example, from one metaphor to another, when I say um, two peas in a pod, in Hebrew you say zug yonim, which literally means two pigeons. So both are metaphors in each language, but they're not the same one. So there are many examples of that that we have in, uh, in translation. Another example would be, you've made your bed, so lay in it. So we Hebrew, we say, eat the porridge you cooked. Mm-hmm. So it's not, uh, semantically, it's not the same words, but it conveys the same message. The second uh, strategy was from the same metaphor to the same metaphor. For example, let's say, um, kill two birds uh, with one stone. We say, Don't stick your nose. It's literally the same in Hebrew and in English, and many more like this. And the third strategy is sometimes from metaphor to a non-metaphor. For example, uh, in a nutshell, you can say in Hebrew, biktsara, in short. So biktsara is not a metaphor. And of course, it's also a matter of style because the same translation could be made, the same phrase could be translated differently if it's different translators. One can choose this strategy and another can choose another. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you can say uh, to translate passed away, could be niftar, just died in Hebrew, which is from metaphor to non-metaphor, or could be halach le'olamo, is the Hebrew metaphor for passed away. Piece of cake, you can translate it mishak iladim, which is the parallel metaphor in Hebrew. And you can say kalekalut, yeah, child game. And you can say kalekalut, which is easy. Right. You know, that's sort of uh, one unique feature that exists in subtitling and usually doesn't exist in general translate in other types of translation is the use of sogrim. Uh, parentheses. Parentheses, exactly. Uh, we do use it when uh, sometimes I want to convey a pun, a joke, or uh, ambiguity, something that can be... Uh, understood in more than one way, especially jokes or a pun, Mm -hmm. because you want to show the reader, and especially when it's in comedies, so you want to show the reader what's funny about it in in English. So uh, sometimes it could be be the conductor, which means a conductor of an orchestra or Mm -hmm. conductor in the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's well it's uh, not easy to show without showing a part of the piece of a video but uh, right. my favorite piece of slang though was um, in English if you want to you know, say like are you dumb 
but in Hebrew, it would say like, Bokoto Veliahu. Uh, right? Yes. It's like, or it's like, how, how do you not get this? Or it, the, Yeah. Bokoto Veliahu is, uh, I think the British parallel is Queen Anne is dead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Queen Anne is dead. And in Hebrew, we'd say Bokoto Veliahu, which means only now you, you realize that. Right. And an example for uh, use of parentheses is, for example, House of Cards. So I could translate Migdal Klafim, which is literally House of Cards. And in parentheses, I can add Matzav Lo Yativ, unstable situation. Gotcha. So when the reader sees the parentheses, he understands it's much more than literally a house of cards. Right. And how do you approach, one thing I noticed from watching Hebrew television shows or also just living there, was that English slang and also just English in general is getting more and more integrated into spoken Hebrew. And is it appropriate to translate that directly or to find the most appropriate Hebrew phrase? Okay. So in this case, I think it's mostly a matter of style, personal style. I've noticed that some translators, they tend to be more... uh, they make it more Hebrew. They tend to choose more the Hebrew phrase. And some, maybe the younger ones, they tend to use, to leave the, the English phrases as is. For example, Zelo Big Deal. It's not a big deal, so some translators would say Zelo Big Deal. And some would say, would translate to Zelo Inyan Gadol really translate literally. I think I, as an editor of translations, of subtitling, I see in the last few years, I see more and more people tend to leave the English phrases as they are. And I think it is correct because this is what we would say. And for me, in my opinion, the best way to translate subtitling is to translate as if you were talking the text in the subtitles. Some translators have the tendency to make it a bit high in register, in the social act. It sometimes looks strange to me. Right. When it's uh, too high and it's not... Um, the speaker wouldn't say that if we, if we speak Hebrew. Right. So you're trying to translate for your audience. So you're not trying to say like, well, this is actually the most correct way to say this in the Hebrew language. You're trying to translate for the people who are going to be reading the subtitles and what makes the most sense to them. So for them to see Zelobigdil, it's more natural. It flows better than trying to yeah. find the most appropriate technical Hebrew translation, correct? Yes, or literal translation, yeah. That's I want to go into um, the technology you use. So if you can talk about just your process for translating, how do you get started? What sort of equipment do you use? And then if you could talk about how it's changed from when you started also. Okay. So I'll start historically. We can sure. say when I started, like almost 15 years ago, I was still for a year or two only. And then it changed. But in the first year or two, I still came to the studios, subtitling studios, and took a VHS video. Mm-hmm. We still had those. And you also got this huge book, which is the script was printed. And it, it was like a big book. 
So you you would go with a big parcel at home and then uh, sit in front of the VCR at your home with the computer and then uh, on the script you would mark with the pen when to cut the subtitling and then you take the script next to your computer and start translating it. So it was quite cumbersome mm-hmm. back in those days. And then uh, quickly it turned into uh, videos sent by internet and the script was sent by email so everything is easier and you do everything by the computer. In the first few years, it was still translating to a word file and then, uh, I mean, cutting just word file, plain docs and in the studios, they would take convert your word file into a subtitling file and make the time coding in the studio. In my courses, I teach uh, the students how to make timing as well and to create a subtitling file. Just to clarify, a few years back, only the studios had the subtitling softwares, which were very expensive. It would cost thousands of dollars and only a few in the world would uh, make those special uh, programs, we would say. But in the last few years, as I guess you know, and many people know, maybe many don't know, but everyone can do subtitling today free. I teach my students how to make free subtitling files, which are uh, time-coded that you can add to YouTube, for example. One of the formats is SRT files, if you know what I'm talking about. So today you have many online sites that you can just do it online and then get the output of a SRT file. And also there are free softwares that you can download and uh, do your subtitling. So I noticed that many of the studios, they start working with subtitlers that can also do uh, time coding. Right. So it's a benefit. If you know how to do time coding as well, you also you get more money per minute translation because for the studios, you save them uh, the time coding time. So... With all yeah. the variety in like streaming video services and YouTube now, so like we have Amazon Prime, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, and then YouTube as well. It seems like it's probably a really good time in your field, correct? There's a lot of opportunities. Yes, uh, I can say that in the last couple of years, it is known that um, Netflix has entered the market, you can say. Uh, you can In Israel, you can also uh, subscribe to their content. So, which means naturally more content to to translate. And I, I feel within my community of subtitlers that there, there is more work in the field because of that. And it's nice, more work for us. And for YouTube, I mean, there's, there's a ton of Hebrew subtitled YouTube clips. Even if the, the audio is in Hebrew, a lot of times people still want to have Hebrew subtitles for, for the video. Do people just do that for free or do they reach out to you? or other yeah. subtitlers to provide Hebrew translations on YouTube. Okay. Now you, you're talking about closed captioning, which is same language subtitling. So it is more in the field of accessibility. 
I can say I've done uh, a seminar about it in my studies. It all started in the States, of course, a decade ago when the accessibility standards for websites, for example, you know that today every website must uh, meet the standards of accessibility, which among other things says that if you have a video in your website, embedded video, YouTube video or whatever, you have to add subtitles or any alternate text Like you can have the video and under it the text, but usually they do the subtitling. So that's a service I offer and my colleagues offer. So I, I, in Israel, it's only, it's quite fresh, only a few years. So I, I feel it gradually growing, but not as, as it is in the States. Right. And I feel that more and more people are looking for professionals to add closed captions to their videos. But I don't think people do it themselves. I think because they don't really know it's, it's so uh, easy and free and available right. to it yourself. But also as a service, if I provide this service or another person, it doesn't cost like it cost in the past when uh, the big studios had to pay for big softwares for this. Today, it's a matter of few dollars per minute mm-hmm. to do it. So people prefer to pay a professional than, rather than learning to do it by themselves because it's, a, it's not an easy task, you know? It's like, how do you say in Hebrew, avodat nemalim, when it's like... Oh, uh, like ants work. Yeah. Work of ants, yeah. So you've been doing this for so long that does it come naturally to you now when you start a new project or do you have tips for staying sharp? Do you constantly watch movies? Uh, think about the translations or is it just something that flows out of you now? I actually, I constantly watch movies and series because I like it regardless of the work I do. So, but yes, it does help me. I guess that when you're constantly exposed to American language, British language, Australian, whatever. Uh, so you it keeps you up to date Also, by the way, if there is something I don't know in the script or the person says a phrase I'm not familiar with, today, talking about free stuff, you have in the internet everything. If you search American slang dictionary, British slang dictionary, etc. The American slang dictionary, if you know, urban dictionary, it's Mm -hmm. called. It's very, it's quite good. But uh, you have to pay attention because it's the readers who insert the content. So sometimes you have to, to make a shikul dat, not just, it's not Wikipedia or a, a formal website that you know that someone checked it. Sometimes right. they, they are not so serious. With so even, even with all the technological advances and that have made your job easier from what it once was, is, it still strikes me that this is a pretty tough field to be in, correct? You mean in what terms? Pretty tough field. In terms of the amount of work that it takes to do it and then finding the opportunities and building an, enough of a, of a name for yourself that you have available work. I think it's in, in every field of any freelancer or any translator that you build your uh, reputation in time. As I said, when you're a subtitler with one company, 
it's easier to get more jobs from another companies because not every translator is a subtitler. Actually, many are not. You can do the other way. You can be a subtitler and a general translator, I would call it. But uh, general translators, mostly they don't know all the constraints I was talking about and how to divide correctly, how to move to the next uh, subtitle, how to translate uh, correctly the slang, the spoken language. So usually when you are in the, this field, you have a, a few opportunities. Right. Uh, how to, yeah. I was just going to ask what, what advice do you give people that want to get into, into your field? How do you succeed in it? I think uh, it's like in any other field. You build your reputation. You, you work for one company and then to another. As I said, in, uh, for every translator, should market themselves. Like from a small website, today it's not uh, big expenses necessarily. You have many even free options. Let's say Facebook business page, looking for work. I When I started way before 2000 even, in the first years of the internet, I remember I put myself in every possible translation portal. You have like freelance portals, Mm -hmm. especially for translators. So when you put yourself online more and more, so you have more options to to be referred to, to be approached. And then you you build your um, clientele, you say, mm-hmm. so when people come back to you. But it's something that every, it refers to every translation field, not necessarily subtitling. Right. Uh, the way you look for work, I think. Yeah, no, I, think, I think you're right. It's just a matter of building your brand. Also, even general uh, freelance websites, you know, like uh, Odesk or, uh, I don't remember. If you were to, if for, for these major companies now that are out there, the video streaming services that, that are offering Hebrew subtitles, when you work for them, do they do any sort of test or do you have, what's the application period like? Definitely. The, mostly the, let's say the American ones, they are more standardized. So you have, uh, it's a very clear process of accepting you. You have to go through a translation test, which includes, includes a video piece and also includes, um, in Hebrew we say, um, yeah, but it means uh, multiple uh, answers. Uh, test. Multiple choice. Multiple choice. We call it Mivchan Amerikai. Yeah. We need three answers. We need three options here. So. Yes. So, uh, yes, uh, definitely the new, uh, the new actors in the field, you can say, they demand uh, standard uh, tests and everything. And I can say that as an editor, in the past years, I'm more an editor, quality control, less translation. I do the, the editing part. I really feel it's, it's a pleasure for me because... Because they make this uh, standard, people only good translators pass. Only good subtitlers pass the tests. And then as an editor, you get to proofread good quality work. So I hardly have 
much to do. Of course, there's always typos. Even the best translators, they make mistakes. Typos is, is normal. It's natural. But not as I would... Uh, I was encountering in the past for, let's say, niche channels that didn't require too much... Uh, Quality control. Yeah, exactly. So then I would find myself correcting and... Yeah. Great. So it's nice to work uh, with uh, when there is a standards. Right. Well, thanks again for taking the time to talk with me. You're on Twitter. You're on YouTube. You're, I encourage everybody to visit your YouTube page. That You oh. post all your lectures on there. Yes. In Twitter, I'm Hebrew subtitler in one word. And YouTube, Facebook. it's just your, your name, Zahavid uh, Ere. Yes. And then and your website is gtranslations dot co dot il or dot com the same okay and my uh, facebook i think it's more the most active uh, platform i use the facebook uh, page is my golden translations page okay great well thanks again for taking the time to talk with us um Thank i wish you. you all the best in your career and i'll definitely keep an eye out for your lectures and anything else you post on your website or on youtube it's been a pleasure Thanks. It was my pleasure too.